The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, July 24, 2022, on the basis of Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So if I told you that this week you could have turned on your television or gone online and seen all kinds of people getting angry and arguing with one another, that probably wouldn't come as much of a surprise. But if I told you that this week, at least part of what they were arguing about was this very famous phrase that comes directly from the verses of the Word of God that are in front of us this morning, maybe that would come as a bit of a surprise. You may have heard that last Sunday afternoon, a man with a rifle walked into a Greenwood, Indiana shopping mall and opened fire. He killed three people and likely would have killed quite a few more. But then a 22-year-old citizen who just happened to be in the mall at the same time and was armed with a 9mm handgun engaged the shooter, shot him eight times, and killed him, putting all of the shooting and all of the killing to an end. So then that evening when the local police chief was talking to the media about what had happened, he made use of this very famous phrase that comes directly from the Word of God in front of us today. He called that 22-year-old armed citizen a good Samaritan. And that's when all of the arguing started. Is it really appropriate to use that phrase to refer to someone who engages another human being with deadly force and even puts him to death? As you might imagine, the very divided opinions that exist in our country about gun control laws and mass shootings only added even more fuel to the fire. And so all week long, if you'd have gone online or gone on television, you probably could have heard people arguing, getting really, really angry over whether this man was worthy of that title. So tell you what, how about this morning we settle the debate once and for all? Actually, I'm kind of hoping to, but probably not in the way that you would expect. You see, usually discussions about what it means to be a good Samaritan focus on people's actions. Are you a good Samaritan if you help a little old lady across the street? Are you a good Samaritan if you give some food to the person who is begging at the off-ramp? And are you a good Samaritan if you are that proverbial good guy with a gun? who stops a bad guy with a gun. And without a doubt, the story that Jesus tells in these verses has something very much to do with our actions. In fact, the very last thing that Jesus says in these verses is, go and do likewise. And I'll already tell you right now, the very last thing that you're going to hear from me in this sermon are those very same words, go and do likewise. So yes, we better pay attention to actions. But Jesus' story is meant to address something far deeper than actions. Jesus wants to address an issue that goes much deeper and is still an issue that very much needs to be addressed in our day. In fact, all of the anger and all of the arguing this past week really proves it. The fact that we just sense that a great amount of social credit is conferred on someone if they are given this title of Good Samaritan. And the fact that on the other hand, people are willing to get angry and argue if they think that someone is not worthy of that title really just goes to show that the issue Jesus was trying to address with this parable is, is one that still persists in our day. 
And so if we really want to know the point that Jesus was trying to make with this story, don't just pay attention to what the good Samaritan does. Look closer. Look deeper. And instead, pay attention to what a good Samaritan pays attention to. So Jesus told this story about a man who fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They beat him. They left him for dead. And eventually, in the story, three men come walking along and pass him by. Now, it's very obvious from this story that the actions of those first two men was very different from the actions of the third man. But what isn't so obvious is that there's actually one thing that all three of them did exactly the same. Before any of them acted, all three of them saw. As they came walking down the road, Jesus tells us that all three of them saw the man who was lying there. Now, maybe that seems like an obvious and rather incidental detail. But really, it's kind of the whole point, isn't it? When you see someone who is in need, how do you respond? What is the very next thing that you do? For the first two men in the story, we know that eventually they decided to walk right on by. They decided to offer no help at all. But why? What happened in between them seeing the man and deciding to walk by? What was the motive in their heart that caused them to offer no help? Well, here's where it's very important to know when and why and to whom Jesus told this story. You see, just prior to these verses, Jesus was having what seems to be kind of a, a private conversation with just his own disciples when all of a sudden this expert in the law, this lawyer, sort of just barges in. You see, it seems Jesus had said something to his disciples that this man had heard that caused him to be troubled. He was disturbed. There was turmoil inside of his heart, and so he decided that he was going to press Jesus on the issue with a couple of questions. Now, we don't have to guess the motives of this lawyer as he asked Jesus these questions because Luke comes right out and tells us this lawyer wanted to justify himself. This lawyer believed that being the person God wanted him to be, being a good, virtuous, righteous, moral person, a person who was worthy of eternal life, depended on him. And so when he asked Jesus the question that prompted Jesus to tell this story, when he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Don't be fooled. It's not because he's a really nice guy. It's not because he wanted to help a bunch of people out. It's because he wanted to justify himself. And so he was really asking Jesus, who are those people that I would see in my life that I am obligated to show love to if I want to be justified? And more importantly, Jesus... Who are those people that I would see that I'm not obligated to show love to and could still be justified? And so Jesus' whole point with the first two men in this parable, the man who passed by, the man who is lying there half dead, his whole point is that if a person's attention is occupied with their own justification, this is what is going to happen. And so Jesus is telling you, if your attention is occupied with your own justification, this is what is going to happen. This issue that was causing this lawyer such inner angst and inner turmoil is not an issue 
that concerns just lawyers. It's not one that concerns just religious people. It's not one that concerns just Christians. In fact, it's one that concerns all people and isn't really just an issue that concerns all people. It's an obsession that concerns all people. We desire to be justified. We desire to believe that we are good, righteous, virtuous, moral people, and we are willing to listen to anyone who will tell us that it is so. We want what the Bible calls justification. And if that is the case, there are all kinds of ways that we might pursue that justification all by ourselves. Our careers, our accomplishments, our looks, our houses and our cars, our grades, and our stats. But in this obsession with justification, it doesn't take very long to figure out that other people can be very useful in this obsession as well. We can use other people to help us feel justified. So for example, our children are maybe the most vulnerable victims, perhaps. If our children are successful, if our children are respectful and responsible, if our children are well-adjusted and happy, then all it takes is a well-timed photo or maybe more accurately a carefully posed photo that we post online and boy, we can feel really, really good about ourselves and a lot of people will tell us exactly the same thing. Maybe we involve people who aren't so closely related to us. Maybe it's being friends with the people at school who have lots of other friends. Maybe it's being friends with that person who doesn't have any friends at all. Maybe it's being kind to the person who doesn't quite fit in or who isn't from here. Maybe it's showing compassion for the victim of some crime. Maybe it's showing compassion for the perpetrator of that crime. Maybe it's the kindness we would show to an unwed teen who makes a bad decision and suddenly finds herself a mother. Maybe it's the compassion we would want to show to the unborn child who will not live to see the light of day if that unwed teen opts for abortion. Maybe it's even animals and pets that get dragged into the process. Maybe even it's planet Earth. Make no mistake, each and every one of those things or people are neighbors that we can use in this pursuit of justification, showing kindness and compassion and help to any one of them can and will earn us all kinds of praise and all kinds of admiration from other people in this world. And that's bad enough, right? It's bad enough that we would try to be a good neighbor to someone else only because of the credit that it brings to us. Sadly, it gets even worse. Because just as much as we can find neighbors who are very useful to us in this obsession over justification, we surely will come across neighbors who are not. Neighbors who, if we help them out, it won't bring us any recognition whatsoever. It won't bring us any praise and adoration. In fact, it might bring us a whole lot of criticism and even insult. And then when that's the case, if our obsession is on our own justification, just like these first two men, we will pass right on by. If, like this lawyer, we are obsessed with our own justification, it will never turn out well for our neighbor. The useful neighbor will be exploited. 
the useless neighbor will be ignored. If our attention is occupied with our own justification, then a neighbor in need is nothing more than a distraction. So what made the Good Samaritan different? Obviously, he acted in ways that were very different, right? When he came along, he saw the man and he stopped. He helped. He bandaged the man up. He took the man to an inn. He even left money behind so that the innkeeper could continue to take care of him. Obviously, his actions were very different from the actions of the other two, but none of those things was the first thing that was different about the Good Samaritan. No, Jesus says that when the Good Samaritan came by, he saw the man and took pity on him. In other words, when the Good Samaritan saw this man lying there, the very first thing that happened is that something deep down in his heart was disturbed. In fact, that's kind of the picture behind that word that's translated, take pity. It has this idea of our intestines getting all churned up and disrupted inside of us. Sort of like when we say that someone has a visceral reaction or a gut reaction. Deep down inside, this good Samaritan was disturbed by what he saw. The implication of Jesus' words is that prior to seeing this man, he wasn't disturbed. Everything was calm. Everything was still and settled in this man's heart. I mean, think about it. If you take a big, heavy rock and you throw it into a lake that is perfectly calm and still, you are very much going to disturb the surface of those waters. But if you take that exact same rock and you throw it into an ocean that is already windy and wavy, you're not really disturbing anything at all, right? And so this man's heart was the exact opposite of the lawyer's. The lawyer was in turmoil. The lawyer was distressed. The lawyer was obsessed with his own justification. The fact that this good Samaritan could take pity on the man meant that prior to walking up to him, his heart was calm. His heart was still. And so when he saw the man, it did something to him. Deep down inside, he took pity. Well, so how could that be? How is it that this good Samaritan was not obsessed with his justification the way that the lawyer was? Did he just not care? Was he just that much better of a person than the lawyer was, so he thought he had it all figured out? No, here's where it's important to know about that personal, private conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples just prior to this interaction. Luke tells us that Jesus had just said to his disciples that the secrets of the kingdom of Christ were being kept hidden from the wise and the learned of this world, people sort of like this lawyer. And instead, they were being revealed. They were being understood. They were being grasped in faith by little children. So what is it about being like a little child that makes a person the perfect candidate to grasp the secrets of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Well, there is one thing that all little children, no matter what they are like, are really good at. In fact, it's probably the thing that little children are best at. Little children are really good at needing they are really good at being helpless. They are really good at being dependent on others for the things they need most. In fact, that's even what we call them on our tax returns, right? They are our dependents. In fact, that's how we want it, right? We would not like it very much if each and every day our two-year-old child woke up and they said, boy, 
inflation is at 9% and gas prices are through the roof and interest rates are going up and I've got this mortgage and I've got these bills to pay and there's too much to do in too little time. We want to take those concerns off of the plates of our children so that they can wake up and think, boy, I wonder if I can turn this cardboard box into a race car. We want them to be able to just be children. And in the very same way, our Lord Jesus Christ wants to take off of our plate those things that we need most, especially this obsession we all have, rightly, with our justification. Jesus wants us to know that he's got that one taken care of. That when we are the neighbor and when the need is our forgiveness for our sins, when the need is our deliverance from our enemy, when the need is our victory over death and our ticket to eternal life, Jesus wants us to know that we have his undivided attention. That when he sees us lying in the ditch helpless, he takes pity. And with his actions, he takes care of everything that we need. When it comes to our justification, our righteousness, Jesus wants us to be like little children completely and totally dependent on him. And then as a result, our hearts can be still. They can be calm. So that suddenly when we see a neighbor who is in need, something can happen deep down inside. We can take pity. And then once we've taken pity, whatever action the situation might be called for sort of takes care of itself. There might be times where those actions that we take aren't going to win us a lot of praise and adoration for others. In fact, they might earn nothing but criticism and insult. That's okay. That happened to Jesus quite a bit too. There might be times where actually from situation to situation, our actions look inconsistent and we get accused of being hypocrites. That's okay too. That happened to Jesus quite a bit too. The point is not that there is this universal always applicable definition of what it means to be a good neighbor. That there are universal behaviors or positions or slogans or vocabulary that we must always use and that's what makes us a good neighbor. No, instead the important question is, what does mercy look like for this neighbor in this need at this time? If our attention is occupied by our own justification, then our neighbor will always be nothing more than a distraction. But if our justification doesn't need our attention, then it has been set free to give to our neighbor who is in need. So yes, let's settle the issue once and for all. huh? Helping a little old lady across the street. Good Samaritan? Maybe. Giving some food to a person begging at the off-ramp. Good Samaritan? Maybe. Shooting a man who is killing people in a shopping mall. Good Samaritan? Maybe. Don't only focus on what a good Samaritan does. Pay attention to what a good Samaritan pays attention to. A good Samaritan is like a helpless child, totally dependent on Jesus for his justification. And so we might also say, as a result, a good Samaritan doesn't get all worked up if someone else gets referred to as a good Samaritan. A good Samaritan is then calm. 
His heart is still so that when he sees a neighbor in need, it's stirred up. He can take pity. And then a good Samaritan acts in that mercy in whatever way the situation might call for. Jesus means all of that when he says to you, as he said to the lawyer, now go and do likewise. Amen. Amen.